This episode of Paper Team is brought to you by the 2018 Launchpad Pilots Competition. Now in their fifth year, the Launchpad competitions have helped 254 writers get signed, 81 projects get set up, 48 writers get stuffed, and led to four bidding wars. When you enter your pilot script this year, you'll save $15 off your entry just by using the code PAPERTEAM, all caps, all one word, at the checkout as a special thank you to our listeners. For more information on the tracking board's current competitions and exclusive partners, visit tblaunchpad.com. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about nonlinear narrative. When should you use flashbacks, flash forwards, or parallel storylines, and what are some do's and don'ts? Well, we've already found out. <laughs> Flashback <laughs> to then. Welcome to our Paper Scraps segment. And this week we're going to be looking at a case of a TV show apparently being stolen by Fox. Yeah, have you seen this whole thing about how the make, the Fox TV show, the make allegedly got stolen from someone else's idea? And the whole proof of why it was stolen is because there's the same typo in both scripts. Yeah, that's the most interesting thing about this case is that there was a character name that was left over from a previous draft of a different pilot that was submitted to the company through like, you know, a management company or whatever. And it literally has the name of this character from someone else's pilot that was very, very similar to the Mick. Grant, right? That was the yeah, name the of the character. Character. His name in the Mick is Chip, and but they had left Grant in there as his name. Awkward. So, like, not only did they allegedly steal this show or rewrite it into whatever they wanted it to be, they must have just straight up copy pasted from the PDF or final draft file wow. or something and left that in there. Or it was in the back of their head thinking this character's name is this. Allegedly. 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 This is all uh, conjecture. We're not. Uh, yeah. And I know we talked about a similar case back in PT23, which was the protecting and overprotecting your script episode back in 2016. This was almost to the day. One year ago, we talked about this very same thing. So I think like Battlestar Galactica once said, all of this has happened before and will happen again. Yeah, that's right. Time is a flat circle. But it's it comes down to this thing, what we talked about last time of breach of implied contract or in fact agreement. And it essentially is that these two parties were going through the motions of pitching a show or sending you a script for you to read. And then if you go ahead and use pretty much what was exactly there, then there is this implied agreement that you're going to get paid for that because it's your work. So no one ever actually said, hey, we're going to buy your show. Let's shake hands on it. But just the, the circumstances of the fact were such that it could be implied that if they're going to use that, you are entitled to compensation for yeah, it. Yeah, it's kind of the copyright equivalent of a handshake deal, right? In the sense that there's no actual tangible proof of it in a written form. However, there's this, as you said, implied contract uh, between the two parties. Exactly. So I'm curious to see how this one pans out because it seems like they do have a little bit more evidence than some of the previous cases that have been brought. Yeah, how are they going to argue it? Your Honor, my script has the same typo as this other script. I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting. We'll, we'll be watching closely to see how that pans out. Speaking of something else that we'll be watching closely is the new Lord of the Rings slash Tolkien series that Amazon has just announced. Yeah, they bought the rights for a quarter of a billion dollars. Yeah, $250 million. And this is just for the rights. This is They didn't buy a script. They didn't pay 
a writer to write a show for this. They haven't paid any actors. This is simply for the ability to use the IP of J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, it's going to be the Tolkien verse on Amazon. Again, like the final product must be another 250 million, probably. So it's going to be half a billion dollars just to get the show on the road. So clearly, they're going to be banking on multiple seasons at that point because they have invested so much money. Yeah, into I it. think that they have already approved multiple seasons of it just on the basis of it's Lord of the Rings. Everyone's going to love it. And Amazon, as we keep saying, is looking for the Game of Thrones, and this is their attempt to chase that. So. Yeah, on the flip side, I do wonder if Netflix at some point is going to throw the same amount of money, if not higher, because they have the cash flow to do it and i feel like netflix's motto is almost uh, to sort of one up the competition oh wait you've thrown 250 million at this property how about a half a billion dollars for this random book that my two-year-old read this one time <laughs> that was like that movie that someone's an executive's three-year-old pitch the monster <laughs> truck one <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so who knows it's a, it's a brave new world out there and some some of these companies have more dollars than cents two monster two trucks coming soon to netflix <laughs> is that the <laughs> $300 million for the rides. For a five-season anthology series about monster trucks. <laughs> All right, let's get into our episode. Let's talk about nonlinear narrative. So there's the classic Jean-Luc Godard quote, I agree that a film should have a beginning, a middle, and an end, but not necessarily in that order. So some examples of these nonlinear narrative techniques include the in media res start, you know, the flashbacks, flash forwards, dream sequence, the thing where you get blurred realities, parallel and fractured narratives. These nonlinear narrative techniques have been around in books and plays, etc., for quite a long time, you know, dating way back to the Arabian Nights in the fifth century BC, the whole framing device of Shahrazad telling these a thousand and one stories, and sometimes there were stories within stories. And even in Greek myths, the Homer's Iliad in the eighth century, that used the in media rest trope a lot. So there was also a resurgence of all this again in the late 19th and 20th century literature, people like Proust, Faulkner, James Joyce's Ulysses. It's kind of like that postmodern way of storytelling. But if you look at the history of nonlinear storytelling in TV itself, it's only been in the last 10, 15 years that it has become almost a subgenre of narrative in TV. You can even take a look at the shows that Wikipedia lists under their nonlinear section. And there's virtually nothing until the late 90s with Twin Peaks, Buffy, X-Files, and a handful of shows for the 2000s, like Lost. And then every year after that has this dedicated section listing dozens of nonlinear shows. So if you go to 2011, 2012, 2013, they have at least a dozen shows just on that topic. Yeah, exactly. Whether or not it's the entire show is built around it or they just did one episode that was nonlinear. Absolutely. And it was pretty rare. I, I think part of it is just because the audience wasn't as well-versed in the TV genre up until that point. But beyond Twin Peaks and the occasional genre shows that dealt with flashbacks, I mean, the first successful sort of pioneer to build nonlinear narrative within its own concept was lost. Obviously, other shows had done flashbacks before it, but to the victor goes the spoils. Lost was such a huge game changer. Absolutely. I think there have been a number of shows since that have really emulated that formula of, hey, we're telling a story in the present, but this week, we're going to be having a flashback to this person's past, and it's going to intertwine with that story, then how that's going. It just feels like whenever that happens, I'm thinking about Lost. You know? Totally. And I think part of it is also the advent of the internet and those form discussions, the way Twin Peaks and X-Files brought that into the mainstream back when. And it's not just in terms of flashbacks. I mean, we all remember that first time we watched that season three finale of Lost, and I sighed at the time because yet again, we were treated with an episode about Jack's past featuring some generic flashbacks. He's way 
waiting in line at this pharmacy. Okay, cool. He's depressed and is about to jump off a bridge. Well, we know he ends up on the island at some point afterwards, so why does this matter to us now? Okay, fine. He's waiting for someone near LAX. Why do we care about any of... Wait, what? Is that Kate? What do you mean we have to go back? Oh my god, these aren't flashbacks, these are flash forwards. <laughs> my mind was blown and has been blown since then. <laughs> so many shows also emulated this conceit of flash forward. Absolutely, which brings us to this question of when it's so ubiquitous, when is it appropriate to use these kind of nonlinear techniques in your writing? The first comment I did want to make about that is that just because you can do it, doesn't mean you should do it. The popularity of Flash Forward as a technique led to, for example, the show Flash Forward on ABC to be created, and that was based off the book of the same name, and that kind of proved to be a failure alongside all the lost wannabes at the time. And the reality is that nonlinear storytelling is 90% of the time this gimmick. You could argue that Pulp Fiction's story isn't really affected by the fact that the events don't happen in order, but that gimmick actually enhances the story since it gives you a new perspective to what is going on. So then, question that you asked, Nick, is when should you use that nonlinear technique? And I would say that the initial thing to look out for is for narrative reasons or to have this narrative hook. For example, you have something tied to your lead character's backstory that is meant to be this big climactic reveal. But for some reason, it happens to be in the middle of this character's backstory. So one way to go around that would be to spend your story navigating events happening before and after that climactic scene. And as the story progresses, we get more and more clues to what happened to that character in his or her past until the mystery is finally revealed in that climactic scene. By that point, the reader and the audience will have been familiarized enough with who that character was before and who that character is now. So all that is left to fill is that kind of central puzzle piece. I mean, at the same time, I'm a strong believer in the fact that the way a story is told shouldn't be the only thing that makes it compelling. You, you can't just throw parallel narratives and time jumps into a lo-fi mumblecore cinema verite <laughs> sitcom and expect it to make things interesting. You know, the story you're telling should be deliberately, you know, complemented, enriched, juxtaposed in some way, or like you said before, offer the audience new ways of understanding and appreciating the story through that technique. It should always be purposeful and not just thrown in because it seems cool or because everyone else is doing it. Lo-fi mumblecore cinema verite sitcom. Now I want the uh, the Duplass Brothers version of, do you know the movie Primer? The time-traveling movie? No. Oh my God. You literally need a flow chart or some kind of chart to understand what's going on. It's a time travel movie. Right. Uh, it's so complex that most people don't, un- I didn't even understand it watching it in the first place. And I literally had to find um, this chart that explained all the different loops. So I kind of want the Duplass Brothers version of that like movie now. Do Pulp Fiction. That sounds horrible. Now, speaking of, another reason to use those kind of nonlinear stories is actually based on characters instead of just story elements. And specifically, that is if you want your audience to live vicariously what the characters are experiencing. Memento is kind of this obvious example in movies. And one of my favorite nonlinear books is Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. And the reason why the story is so compelling isn't just because the story is not chronological, but because it's a nonlinear narrative for character reasons. It's showing you how this specific character is looking at the world instead of having a macro or omniscient perspective on the story, kind of like what Lost did. And I compare it to the FX show Legion. There again, the show literally puts you in the mind of the lead character. You should just be as confused and just as lost as he is. And this nonlinear narrative is almost too obvious at that point. It wasn't just done because it's the cool thing kids are doing these days. It was done because that's what the characters are experiencing. And Lost is, as I just mentioned, the 
opposite of that. You have this macro perspective and the flashback slash flash forwards you see have no real narrative or direct impact to the characters. The only exception are the time traveling Desmond episodes, which were directly inspired by Slaughterhouse Five. Yeah, Legion is such a great example of the storytelling techniques reflecting the character and, and their perspective. You know, Noah Hawley said he was inspired by David Lynch in doing that. And he said this quote, the structure of a story should reflect the content of the story. If the story, as in this case, is about a guy who is either schizophrenic or he has these abilities, i.e. he doesn't know what's real and what's not real, then the audience should have the same experience. That ties back to the whole unreliable narrator idea that we're going to explore a little bit later in this episode. And the last reason to really use nonlinear narrative is perhaps the least impactful, and that would be for thematic or meta slash macro reasons. And these are, for example, if you want to explore themes or the past without necessarily leaving the present. Obviously, the format of Lost was built on that very conceit. The flashbacks were there to inform on the thematic level what the characters were going through on the island, and maybe sometimes explain their decision or process or any other narrative reasonings. But it's almost a loose tie to what's going on in the present. Right. You know, if a story is being told unreliably through someone's vague recollections of it, it may actually be because they're exploring themes of memory and history and how do we choose to remember things accurately and accurately, you know, recreate our own pasts and our heads. That's kind of what Lost was all about, was about those second chances and redefining who you are. And so you got to see those parallels between who they were as characters or as people before the island and then who they become on the island. I don't want to say it's a very heady topic, but it kind of ends up being this uh, disconnection between the story that's happening now and what happened back when. Whereas something like Legion, I feel like really puts you in the shoes of those characters. So that's a very direct relationship to that nonlinear construct. That's not to say that one is better than the other, but these are just things to look out for in terms of when you should be using those nonlinear techniques. All right, so now that we've looked at the sort of main story reasons why you would be using a nonlinear structure, let's take a look at some practical examples of how nonlinear stories have been told in TV. Well, there's the classic one that we've mentioned before, which is the in-media res beginning of a show or of an episode. Obviously, there's the classic Breaking Bad pilot, which is so memorable to everyone. Where you, know, you talked about it before, Alex, we're suddenly thrown at the situation where this guy's driving an RV in his underpants, there's chemicals sliding around in the back, there's bodies there, he's trying to record a message to his family, the police sirens are going on. This is like the ultimate example of like, what are all the elements we can throw at the audience to have them questioning what the hell just happened? Classic Monday. <laughs> <laughs> but even on a more episodic level, you've got shows like Stargate, where they throw you into the middle of a battle between some aliens and the team, and they're under fire, and they're in a really dangerous situation, and we don't know how they're going to get themselves out of it. And then we will either you know, cut back to how they got themselves into it, or they might just make their escape out of there, and then the rest of the episode flows as normal. And we've also talked about how sometimes that may seem like a cheat. I mean, Alias is a great example of that, where sometimes there was this very compelling opener, but then if you flash back to X days earlier, then you kind of lose your audience in that narrative. Yeah, I think it comes back to that notion of getting in as late as possible and jumping out as early as possible. And Media Res is just like the ultimate fulfillment of that is like literally start in the middle of the action without any context as to how it happened. But you got to defeat that point, though, because if you do start as late as possible and leave as early as possible, but then flash back to essentially how you ended up in there in the first place, then you, exactly. <laughs> then you lose so that, that idea. Is of filler, unless you're very, being very particular about what you're slowly peppering in on the way up to it. But if it's just, how did I get there today? Then it's it's not as interesting. So like we said before, it has to be deliberate. <laughs> 
the other classic example that springs to most people's minds, like we just talked about, are flashbacks. I think that there are some shows that are doing these in really interesting ways now, too. It's not just quick flashback to some exposition or backstory. You've got shows like Bojack Horseman that, yes, they do have those as temporary flashbacks to his show in the 90s, but they also have like episode 411 of the latest season, Times Arrow, where you're getting to see Bojack's mother's entire backstory and what led her up to this point and what made her to be this kind of person. And Bojack is kind of drifting in and out of seeing her reality. And, you know, it's kind of this dramatic irony because he's not seeing what's going on, but we're understanding why she came to be this way through those flashbacks. Another great one, which was rightfully recognized at the Emmys, is the Thanksgiving episode of Master of None. And that is a story told about Denise's kind of coming out and coming to terms with her sexuality through a series of flashbacks to all the different Thanksgivings that she's been at with her family from the 90s through to the present and the slow evolution of her kind of identity and revealing that to her family. Yeah, I mean, I love the examples that you mentioned. I feel like depend upon this idea of framing. Maybe sometimes you have an episode where someone remembers a specific event in their past and that's going to trigger that flashback. One of my favorite episodes of Deep Space Nine is this episode The Visitor, where it essentially takes place in the future compared to the present and you have one of the lead characters being this old man. It's the son of Captain Cisco. Jake is his name. And he remembers what happened to his father. And so then we flashback in the past because he's recollecting what happened to his father and he tells the story to this other woman. And as the episode progresses, you sort of catch up to the present and see what happened bit by bit. So I think that's almost vital to have flashbacks be dictated by something that's happening in the present, whether it's a thematic level, but maybe it's actually someone recollecting what what happened in their past. I think it has to flow both ways. Like the present has to have a reason for this flashback to be relevant. And then what happens in the flashback has to then tie back into what's happening in the present for it to feel really satisfying satisfying as the use of the device rather than just being here's a quick bit of random exposition because we didn't want to put it in dialogue or something. Oh, absolutely. And that's a big discussion that we're having on my show right now is we wanted to have this whole episode that's a flashback episode, but we need it to be narratively wanted because if it's just there to show some cool exposition, then, you know, that that could be a fun episode. But in terms of the serialized narrative that we're trying to tell, then it doesn't quite make sense. It's definitely a big thing in genre and mythology shows because you have so much of this world and these interesting events that did happen and you want to show that to people, but is it relevant to the story? Absolutely. Another quick example of flashbacks, very much in the vein of Lost, is Orange is the New Black. You're seeing the inmates' pasts and their families and what kind of led them to this point to get them there. But again, they always make sure that it interacts very carefully with the events of the present day episode. The construct is built in the idea that every episode is going to be about a different inmate. It's a different character. So you do have almost that narrative drive to tune into the next episode and see, ooh, who are they going to focus on next time? And I think that's why Lost originally was so popular was because you had all these interesting characters from the get-go, these very mysterious characters on the island, and you wanted to know, what's up with the log? Like, why is he smiling with an orange in his mouth? Oh, what? He couldn't walk before? He was paralyzed? What's happening here? Yeah, or it's Saeed. this ensemble flashback device that's just been popularized. And, you know, it's very effective. You can get a whole show out of that. It's just, here's a bunch of interesting people. Let's gradually explore their pasts while progressing forward with a, a narrative in the present. Totally. And the flip side of that, are flash forwards. I mean, again, I mentioned that the huge success of flash forwards on Lost led to other shows to use that within the story. We brought up earlier How I Met Your Mother that used that idea to some extent, but even before it damages the FX show that I think was then on DirecTV with Glenn Close was the other sort of big TV drama to have flash forwards as built-in narrative to increase the suspense. The pilot episode flashes forward to months ahead into a criminal case and reveals that one of the main characters ends up dead. And you do have that visual distinction in the color palette. I mean, the future storyline is showcased in this 
a unique blue coal tint. And the finale of the first season merges the two timelines visually. And when the present storyline ends where the future timeline begins, then the image switches to that blue tint. It's a little more advanced than the ascending scale of do 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 do. You're like in, you know, like. Oh, like the soapy. uh... Right, the keys into like, here's a memory. (laughs) (laughs) You mean uh, something like. Flashback to when Lost was culturally relevant. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on. It's still very culturally relevant. Uh, and obviously now we have How to Get Away with Murder, which, I mean, during its first season, I thought they sort of copied a lot of the same motifs that uh, Damages did, even including that color palette idea or deconstruction. Another interesting and common nonlinear narrative technique is this idea of parallel narratives. Now, this can be something as simple as you're cutting between two stories that are happening in the same timeline, and we're going back and forth between those, and at some point they meet up. Or it can be more complicated, like the example of This Is Us on NBC, where in the pilot episode, which I still think is one of the best pilots I've ever seen, is that we have these different storylines of different people that we're cutting between, and they don't seem to have anything to do with each other. And at the end, it all comes together in such a way that we realize that we'd actually been seeing the storylines of the same people, but 30 years, 40 years apart. One of them was the story of their parents leading up to when the mother was giving birth to these triplets. And then we were seeing these triplets all grown up in the future, exploring their lives out in the world and interacting with each other. And none of those relationships are really made clear until right near the end of the episode. And then obviously it continues throughout in the series to explore those two parallel timelines. Yeah, I would say that this idea of parallel narratives takes the conceit of ABC stories, which is an essential construct of TV storytelling and pushes it into chronology, this idea of we we have these ABC storylines that are parallel to one another, but what is one way we can push them even further, not just on a thematic level, but really intrinsically play with the timeline? And This Is Us is a great example of that. Another example is, spoiler alert, Westworld on HBO. And the first season of Westworld had this whole storyline about these two guests in this park doing their little thing, and it didn't really seem to connect to the main plot line. And much like This Is Us, one of the big twists of the season is that that plot line is in fact set in the past. It's almost an origin story for one of the villains that we see in the present uh, storyline. So I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, way of uh, playing with the time, especially considering that the show is in the future. So most people didn't really expect them to play on that timeline. I think another one that we see a lot is this idea of characters recalling memories. And I think it ties in really closely with the idea of the unreliable narrator. For example, True Detective season one really comes to mind. You have these two older detectives being interviewed about a case in their past. And then as they're talking about it, we cut into that timeline and we see what was happening between the two of them. And we're getting it from both of the different perspectives. They were calling the details of this case. And there's this this tension and this mystery and darkness to it that you're not really sure why they're being interviewed over this case and what it has to do with them. And did one of them do something wrong? Did one of them do something bad? You know, things like that. It's, it adds to that feeling. It's kind of the modern take to the whole Rashomon of it all, where people are interviewed based on a crime that was committed, and you sort of flash back to each person's perspective on that crime. And obviously, since people are people, like Depeche Mode once said, then you have those different perspectives and misleading views of what actually happened. And we have some more examples of that in comedy with How I Met Your Mother. It's the entire framing device is a father sitting his kids down and telling them the story of how he met this kid's mother. Um, But they're keeping this ongoing mystery of who it actually is because he's recalling these episodes of dates that he went on with women. And so we're like, oh, well, this is going to be the mother. Like, Actually, no, it wasn't. This leads into another story about this woman. And like, oh, good dad. You know, (laughs) like that's probably why so many people were disappointed with that last season was the whole lost of it all where it's not about the mystery 
mystery. It's about the characters. And that could be true for Lost. But for How I Met Your Mother, I mean, that was literally, literally the, in the title. <laughs> exactly. Another one is the Goldbergs. That's where we have this present day version of Adam Goldberg narrating, telling the story of his childhood in the 80s. And what's interesting is actually like reenacting real life events that happened to the real person, Adam Goldberg, who's the showrunner of the show, but obviously presenting it through a narrative lens of his family in that period of time. Is it similar to Fresh Off the Boat? I feel like Fresh Off the Boat, you yeah. that conceit. Yeah, definitely. Those kinds of things are, are quite similar. Another nonlinear narrative technique is this whole thing about dream sequences or immersions, what we talked about earlier about putting yourself in the shoes of the characters. Right. It absolutely helps to understand these characters' perspectives, to be able to get inside their head and inside their mind and their, see through their eyes sometimes, like we said with Legion, but also another great show recently is American Gods. I don't know if you'd call them dream sequences exactly, but there's definitely some kind of blending of reality with the mystical. You know, it makes us wonder, is this the gods and the beings in this world exercising their powers, or maybe is it our lead character of Shadow Moon, like, imagining these things or hallucinating? You know, there are certain episodes, the one where Peter Stormare is this kind of god of death, and we see him out in a field, like, killing things with his hammer. It's like, is this something that, that the character is actually seeing, or is this something that only the audience is seeing? It's it's a very confusing kind of thing, but it's, it's still communicating the story to you in a very particular point of view and way. And what's fascinating to me, too, is that we often see the origins of these gods thousands of years ago. We're being almost immersed in a fable or a legend being told about the gods through the eyes of their believers. And all this is intrinsically tied to the whole unreliable narrative perspective, because you are in the shoes of those people. I mean, one of my favorite movies, American Psycho, did that very well, where you're not sure if what is happening on screen is actually happening or is it a delusion of Patrick Bateman? Yeah, I think it's a really effective technique. Again, when it's used in a deliberate way to to help uh, elucidate some sort of theme or character point of view, not just to confuse people for no reason. Another technique is stories being told out of order, or I think one term for it is anachronic order. And this is obviously epitomized by Pulp Fiction, the whole multiple storylines happening at once. We're not sure at which point we're jumping in and out of each of them. There's a fun term for that that someone coined called quintinuity. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, this is not used very often in comedy, but one of the classic examples of when it is, is Arrested Development Season 4. And the interesting thing they did with that is that each episode of the season basically tells the entire events of the season in one episode, except each time it focuses on the different character. So we're seeing all of the events just through someone else's eyes every single time. And the information, we're kind of getting bits and pieces here and there, putting together little hints that are dropped earlier and hints that are dropped later. Sometimes it's even in the other way around. The payoff of a joke is in episode three and the setup is in episode seven. And it's just, it's all very confusing and polarizing, but it's also kind of brilliant in its own way. Yeah, I can't wait it until it's actually edited correctly, and then I understand what the hell that season was about. <laughs> Were you a watcher of Twin Peaks, Alex? Because I, I was, have to admit yes. that I, I never really got into it, but this is obviously, what, that was one of the harbingers of this whole Yeah, thing. I mean, I would argue that like Twin Peaks essentially premiered all of those uh, nonlinear techniques in one way or the other, and I think that's why it was so groundbreaking in many ways. I mean, the, the whole out-of-order thing, it's, it ties back to the whole American Gods. I feel like American Gods is very similar to Twin Peaks in the sense that you're not quite sure what is real and what isn't. And on top of that, there's an actual mystery where American Gods feels more like you're living in the moment and absorbing that universe, whereas Twin Peaks has almost a narrative direction and a mystery that I didn't find in American Gods, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Which brings us to another perspective on the story, and that's kind of a time travel being done within the narrative. So even though the story might be presented to the audience in order, we are seeing them jumping around within the world's internal timeline. 
And a recent example of this is actually Future Man on Hulu, which only premiered the other day. And that uses a lot of the classic genre sci-fi tropes. It calls out the movies that it's basically ripping off uh, <laughs> within the show. But these soldiers from the future arrive to stop this virus from being unleashed on the Earth. And so they take this guy who is the, the best, like he played this computer game and made it through to the final level. So they come back and they're like, you're the chosen one. And then they like then they just keep adding in tropes. And they're like, now we're going to jump back in time to save the virus from ever happening on Earth. So they keep going back in time to try and change these events to prevent it from happening. But they're obviously trying to do it in more comedic ways than just killing someone like they do in Terminator or whatever. They try to cock block this professor and stop him from getting herpes because the reason that he tries to create this virus to solve herpes is what turns everyone into these monsters on Earth. So they just basically try to stop him from hooking up with this woman at a frat party in the 70s. Wow. So it's like War Games meets Terminator meets uh, Super Fighter meets 12 Monkeys. It's like yeah. all my favorite things at once. <laughs> Can't wait to watch it. And uh, one that I know we're, we're both uh, reluctant fans of. I don't know. <laughs> Heroes. Uh, <laughs> hey, I've got the first season on HD DVD. I'll have you know. It's the only season you need. Uh, <laughs> but obviously we have this character of Hiro Nakamura altering history and even running into a badass future version of himself. And so he's jumping around and changing not only the in-world narrative that you know we haven't seen. That's oh, this distant future of the world ending. But as far as I remember, he was also going back to narrative points that we saw earlier in the show, like when the explosion happens over Manhattan and you're jumping around to things, seeing different perspectives of events we'd already been seen in earlier seasons. Yeah, I would say an even more successful version of that was done in Doctor Who with the River character. I don't know if you watched Doctor Who, yes, yeah. but uh, we essentially met her at the end of her story in the show and she seemed to have lived her life with the doctor or have had some kind of relationship in her past. And as but the this season of the doctor hadn't experienced that yet because they were crossing. Exactly. And so as yeah. the season progressed, then you got to see that relationship form and develop until the climactic end. But I thought that was a really interesting way of establishing that whole like time travel alternate um, narrative perspective. Absolutely. It's a really clever way of having done it. And it's built into the concept of Doctor Who, of this person who is jumping across multiple points of time and running into to different people who have encountered him in different forms and different formats, I guess. One last technique that I want to briefly mention is this idea, I guess, of what you might call meta timelines. And that is something where these changes in time aren't necessarily being presented to us within that season or that show itself, but they're making references to other things outside of the show. So for example, Better Call Saul is a prequel to Breaking Bad. So if you haven't seen Breaking Bad, you don't have any of the information, but this, this character, Saul Goodman, it's his past leading up to that point. We're not jumping over and seeing the events of Breaking Bad as they happened in the show. You just kind of rely on that outside knowledge of a completely different series. Or even young Sheldon, which is, you know, the child <laughs> version of Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. We're seeing his history leading up to the point where he becomes the Sheldon that some people know and love. You also have the Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles or the Bates Motel, which are shows that are essentially being inserted into timelines of mythology from movies that weren't even other TV shows. They're just like, here's this mythology you know about Terminator. Let's uh, pick a point in time and make the characters tell the story of that. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I'm a big fan of Josh Friedman. 
I'm not related to Josh Friedman, by the way, just <laughs> in case uh, people wonder. But one of the things I love is how they reinvented their timeline. And Bates Motel did the same thing. You had this preconceived notion of what the Psycho movie was, and they completely reinvented what it was. Terminator, the Sarkon Chronicles did the same thing. The irony of it is it got canceled after its second season, and it ended on a cliffhanger that was going to reinvent the entire timeline because I think it was John Connor who went forward in time or backwards. But essentially, he changed the entire timeline, and the third season was going to flip the tables on the audience and nope, it got canceled. Oh, and uh, That's so disappointing. We'll it, was, it was a great show, but in terms of other kind of meta references, you even have stuff within our own world, like alternate histories, shows like Man in the High Castle, uh, arguably, I guess, maybe Handmaid's Tale could be seen as a future history. I don't know. Well, I thought it was a documentary about what was happening <laughs> right now in America. I'm confused. Yeah. And again, even something like The Crown, we're seeing a younger version of a famous real life figure that we know now. So Everything that happens in that story that's unfolding, it's being augmented by our understanding of the future events and what's to come for that person. Let's talk about some do's and don'ts when using nonlinear narrative in your TV show. I'd say do use nonlinear narrative techniques when it ties in with you know, who your character is conceptually and their point of view that you're trying to explore through the show, or in some other way it is fundamentally a part of the concept of the show you're trying to explore and its themes. Another thing is, whether you're doing linear or nonlinear, the order of your scenes, the way you reveal that information drip by drip, should be just as deliberate, regardless of the context. I mean, scenes and events are written in order for a reason, which means that if you write them out of order, there still needs to be a reason to that order. I mean, the movie Arrival is so emotionally cathartic and the twist works so well because that final character reveal combines every climax of the movie. From a character standpoint, this is when that main character understands her place in the story. And from a narrative standpoint, this is when the two timelines are meant to intersect. That's not to say that if you have a twist in your story, then you should create a nonlinear narrative, but you need to have a clear reason why you're doing it in the first place. I'd say definitely don't overuse flashbacks just to get that cheap exposition or backstory out that isn't absolutely absolutely necessary to the plot or can't be done in another way unless you know your entire format is built around flashbacks like lost another thing on that note is that you got to establish those rules for why you're doing what you're doing an example of that is the affair which uses this whole unreliable narrator aspect to convey the information but i feel like the whole concept of what is being told was so vague that the result didn't really make much sense. So for example, in the first season finale, you had, I believe it was in one character's retelling, Joshua Jackson's character waving a gun in someone's face. And then the other character's retelling, it was a completely different character waving that gun in someone's face. And I'm like, okay, so sure, the whole trauma, PTSD, recollection, memory is vague enough that you may not remember exact details, but you're going to remember who is carrying a freaking gun and waving it in your face. That's pretty memorable. So the <laughs> idea that you had that much discrepancy between those two unreliable narrators storylines didn't really make much sense to me at that time. Yeah, I think that brings us to the point that don't just retcon or change your rules because they're no longer convenient for your story, because that kind of betrays a trust that the audience has put in you and a reliance upon this device. I think it's a really common pitfall with, for example, time travel devices and shows is they will suddenly just be like, oh, well, now we have a new device that allows us to travel in a different way and not do the things that we said we couldn't do before because we ran out of story ideas. I would say, though, that if you're going to be cheating the audience in terms of what that nonlinear structure is and you're doing it with intent, that can work really well. I mean, 
Lost is a great example of that. The third season finale was set up so that you would believe that it's yet another Jack flashback episode, and it turns out it's a flash forward episode, or that Desmond episode where he time travels back in time. You're not quite sure what's happening, and then by the end of the episode, you figure out what is going on. There are ways to flip the script. I think it's just important not to do it carelessly or because you've kind of run out of things to do with it. And speaking of, I mean, another aspect is that the nonlinear narrative you tell must make sense at every step of the way. Going back to Lost and Arrival, both flash forwards work on the first level of these are just flashbacks informing on who those characters are. And even with that basic understanding, the audience is not left scratching their heads in confusion as to what the hell is going on. They can easily follow the story at that level. And so the reveal that these are actually flash forwards creates a new layer and a new understanding to the entire story. So it's not just a cheat at the end of the day, it's really something to enhance the entire narrative. Finally, we got to talk about some of the drawbacks of using nonlinear storytelling. Some may say that we have gone too far with nonlinear storytelling in television. (laughs) I mean, again, take a look at how Arrested Development, the fourth season, was received. Jokes were paid off in episode three that were not set up until episode seven or something. This is the nonlinear future that liberals want. (laughs) (laughs) Good Lord. Uh, You could literally watch those liberal episodes of Arrested (laughs) Development in any order, and it would make just as much sense or as little sense as watching it in, I don't know, the flip side. So that's why I'm like looking forward to the edited version of it because I want to love this show and I love this show, but I don't know, the the experience just didn't pan out well for me. I'll just say that. Yeah, I think when you make that decision to tell your story in a heavily non-linear way, you risk alienating your audience. It's sort of like a whole new level of serialization over again. You have episodic and you have serialized and you have a non-linear serialization where you really have to be paying attention to and know the show and the story inside and out and then actively work to piece it together in your head and understand it it's honestly asking a lot of your audience now when it pays off it pays off big time and it's incredibly rewarding to those people who want that but not everyone wants to commit to that level of intricacy in a show you know for example how polarizing twin peaks is so you're going to limit your options for where your story could live to probably streaming services and premium cable with subscriber audiences rather than something relying on ratings probably lends itself better to a format where your show can be binged yeah i would say that is why the second and third seasons of the laughter wars were much more well received than the first season and that's because even on that first level even if you were not following the mysteries and if if you were not following the random storylines or metaphysical storylines that the writers were doing, you could still understand on a basic level, okay, this is what the A story of this episode is, and this is what this character is going through at that moment. Whereas in the first season, it was so almost convoluted, and it wanted kind of like what American Gods is in a way, where it was very much you know, it insists upon itself, like kind of like I would say. It's sort of this like very metaphysical commentary on whatever mankind or death or what have you. And with a lot of those visually intricate images or weird symbolism here and there, but without any narrative touch points. Yeah, I, would I say. think that's why back in the day you would see these huge spikes in DVD sales and a lot of these cult shows and series, because finally, you know, before there was the whole video on demand and, and streaming and ability to watch that stuff back, that's when people could finally see back and rewatch this stuff and really understand it properly or some people would see it for the first time because they didn't catch it on air and they would be able to sit there and watch the episodes carefully or rewatch them and fully understand these non-linear and complex stories and then people would grow to love them because 
they had put that hard work into the storytelling that pays off. And on the flip side, I mean, the way you consume that media changes your perception of it. Westworld is an example of a show where I feel like if it had been released on Netflix and people were binging it, the satisfaction of the twist of, oh my God, these are two timelines and it's the same plot, but coming from two different angles. One is from the past, one is from the future, blah, blah, blah. This would have been much more rewarding than the week-to-week distribution that we had on HBO, where people on, let's say, Reddit had guessed the twist from episode two on. Yeah, I agree. I think that some series absolutely are served better week to week and others are served better with the ability to consume as much of them at a time as you want. And that people are these days tailoring their storytelling devices and the way that they want to show these things to people for that format. Absolutely. And in fact, another element or drawback of using nonlinear narrative like flashbacks or flash forwards is you do take the risk of being too disconnected from that present main storyline. I mean, Lost had flashes that were thematically related to the present, but as time went on, it became kind of less and less relevant. I mean, just remember that whole episode about Jack getting a tattoo. Like, where did he get that tattoo on his shoulder? Oh my God, this is this amazing mystery that is somehow related to this present day storyline with a smoke monster on an island. Yeah, I don't think so. Is it a polar bear tattoo? Is that yeah, if only. That would have been much more relevant. <laughs> it was just some Thai tattoo somewhere. Yeah, I, I remember, remember that vaguely. Uh, <laughs> you blocked it from your memory. <laughs> like Jack should have. And then we would not have had that episode. Oh, boy. I think another drawback to nonlinear storytelling is it's just harder to write well. There are so many balls to juggle that a lot of the time you probably need a writer's room of people to help you sort through it all and execute it in a proper way. I think also if as a listener, you're a newer writer and you're just writing a pilot script to, to use as a sample or to get representation or you know get meetings, it's going to be harder to communicate the vision of your show through a nonlinear pilot episode alone. If people are reading that as the sample, it needs almost some level of standaloneness or setup and payoff people to see that you're not just writing random threads and out-of-order stories that never actually connect. You don't want to have to demand that everyone read your series Bible as well as your pilot to fully understand and appreciate your script and your writing. Well, you're telling me that Lost wasn't JJ's and Damon's first spec pilot? Oh yeah, absolutely. They went out in the town with that and then wildly successful, of course. <laughs> All right, now let's take a look at what nonlinear narrative is. What are the takeaways for this episode? Number one, the use of nonlinear narrative should be warranted by the story, the characters, or the themes. Number two, nonlinear narrative isn't right for every format or every audience, and it may even hinder your storytelling and what you're able to do with a, your nonlinear pilot script. Number three, be aware of the various nonlinear techniques and tools available to you, such as flashbacks and flash forwards or parallel and fractured narratives. Number four, watch out for these common pitfalls, tropes, and comprehension issues when writing narratives out of order. How about some resources? One of my resources this week is Slaughterhouse Five. It is one of the most iconic works of nonlinear narrative. And as I mentioned before, the approach works because it is character centric instead of being the story gimmick. So if you haven't read it, do it right now, right the second. Now, the other resource I'll be linking in the show notes is a post by Ian Schrieber, who is a game designer, and he wrote about the topic of nonlinear narrative. The article is actually part of an online course about game design, which is obviously not directly related to TV writing, but this particular lesson is interesting regarding story and chronology. And since the world of video games and screenwriting are getting more and more interconnected, I actually suggest checking out the rest of his course on the subject. 
Yeah, video game writing is such an interesting thing with all the like branching decision trees and narratives that can you can pursue. So definitely especially with VR now, it's kind of like all those branches intersect in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. For my resource, I've heard really great things about this book called The 21st Century Screenplay by Linda Aronson. Now, I haven't read it myself, but the reviews seem excellent and friends who I trust have, have said that it's really good. So I think it's aimed more at featured writing, but a lot of it is applicable general advice to nonlinear storytelling in general. A good two thirds of the book cover sections like parallel and tandem narrative, flashback narrative, fractured narratives, etc. So uh, check that one out if you're looking for some guidance on how to write those techniques. Oh, sounds very interesting. All right. So thank you so much for taking the time to tune in and listen to us. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 70. And in a couple of weeks, you'll be able to get the transcript for this episode at paperteam.co slash 70 transcript. We would love if you would take the time to leave us some reviews. We always appreciate the nice words that you have to say, and we'd love your honest feedback on what you like and what we could improve. And we'll read them at the top of the next show, and you'll be famous for the length of a paper scrap segment. Excellent. That's what we've always wanted. Thanks again to our sponsor, the 2018 Tracking Board Launchpad Pilots Competition, which is now open. Paper Team listeners can use the code PAPERTEAM, all caps, all one word, at the checkout and save $15 off their entry. And you can learn more about all the Launchpads current competitions and exclusive partners by visiting tblaunchpad.com. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, answers to questions you haven't asked yet, you can send them <laughs> to ask at paperteam.co. And next week, it's the last episode of 2017, the last Paper Team episode of 2017. The, the coveted Paper Team holiday special. Ooh, going to be uh, celebrating uh, whatever holiday is happening at that time of year. I don't, I'm not quite sure. Uh, one of them, Kwanzaa. It's the Paper Probably. Team Kwanzaa special. I'll be wearing my uh, Yarmouk cloth that I got from the OC Insider Club 10 years, 15 years ago. Sounds good, you nerd. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you then. <laughs>